0: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red and the latest of our World Cup specials as we catch up with former Reds fans, players and coaches and uh, see what they're up to now and reflect on their time with Forest at the city ground. And delighted to be joined by former Reds coach Stephen Reed. Stephen, how are you doing?
1: All good, Matt. Just... Um just looking at the intro there and looking at some of the images actually from Wembley brought back some some great memories some great yeah memories. i mean i
0: probably start there because you left not long after Wembley and we'll talk about what you're doing now but there's that pretty iconic picture of you that you put on twitter now on the i think it was on the bus afterwards with the beers and the cigars and whatever it was in your mind then were you were you definitely on the way out or were you tempted to stay
1: yeah that was that was tempting obviously when you sort of achieve what we did um you know one of the most memorable memorable days in my football career and obviously in recent years for Forrest as well it was it made the decision even harder I think that few days after the final especially managed to get away with the family and was mulling it over but I think like I've said in in the interview that I've done before. And I know Steve said in the pieces that he's done, that it's something that we've been speaking about for some time in the, you know, in the build up to the end of the season. Anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't thrown on Steve or the club at the end of the season. Um, It was discussions that me and Steve had been having, been having since, since the start of the year.
0: So tell fans, what it is you're doing now? You're working on like is the mental health side. Of, is it with individual players? Do you go into clubs? How does it work? I've done a little bit of, a little bit of both. I've
1: presented it. I've been back to to Forest, so I presented to to one of the academy groups. It was the 18s. I've been into a couple of other clubs just to present, and the pr- presentation really is about sort of the challenges of being and going on that journey into becoming a professional footballer. What I'm also doing, I'm also on the journey to qualifying as a fully trained counsellor. I'm on the level three, and then once you finish your level four, you become fully qualified. I'm doing a few different bits and pieces, really, but the bit that I'm probably enjoying the most at the moment would be sort of some of the individual work with players. And I've also worked with a couple of coaches as well. It's sort of dealing with a lot of the stresses, the pressure, the anxieties and, and just helping others on the on the journey in football themselves, and hopefully giving them some tools to, to help them. To, yeah, it's not solving it, but it's just helping to manage some of those some of those bumps in the road.
0: So is this elite athletes in football or you? do you think, I guess it translates across all sports if people want to speak to you?
1: Yeah, at the moment it is it has been just football. I've worked or been involved with a couple of organisations over the last few months, one of which is Sporting Chance. So I've uh, been down to see them. I've been to a couple of events with them and they deal with everyone in, in elite sport, no matter what sport it is. So... It's definitely an area we'd like to expand on, you know, different sports people. Um and I guess once I'm fully qualified as a counsellor, you you're effectively then kind of free to free to to help, no matter who it is, it doesn't just have to be in sport.
0: Mm-hmm. Um can you kind of contextualize your road to this place in terms of your own mental health? I know you've spoken about it before, but it's something that's gone back throughout your career, I take it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's help that I've needed even before I started as a professional. You know, from a young age, I needed that bit of support, that bit of help with counselling. Uh, as I got into sport, became more the sports psychology and performance side of it. And since retiring from football, sort of stepped back into getting a bit of help with, with counselling as well and, and through the PFA. So it's something that I've always seen as, as really important in, in all walks of life, not just sport or football. Um, and it's something that I wanted, something that I've sort of been thinking about for a while and something that I just wanted to pursue a little bit more. And to do that, it's, it's virtually impossible to do it on the coaching journey as well, because of the time it takes to, to take part in lessons, to do your work, to fully commit to it. I've, you know, sort of needed this step away from it to, to, to pursue this a little bit more.
0: I remember interviewing uh, an England cricketer a few years ago, and he was saying, and his first call up, he spoke about imposter syndrome, uh, and he said he'd been blighted with it throughout his career. And I didn't really know what it was. I thought he meant you thought you, your teammates thought you were rubbish, but he was saying it's like everyone from the tea lady up thought. You know, in his head, he was thinking you're a joke. You're not good enough for this. Is that the kind of thing that you suffered with or is it more along the lines of anxiety and stress and panic, if you don't mind elaborating?
1: Yeah, all of it. All of it, really. But I do always come back to that imposter syndrome feeling that is, it's kind of that fear of just being found out that you're not good enough to be there. You're not worthy of being there. Someone's going to find you out and you're kind of be out on out on your ear. Um the way I sort of think of it now, I've, it's taken some time, but now I kind of, I use it in a way. I've, I've used it actually probably throughout my career as that voice to battle against, to keep pushing through it, not to give up, to keep going, to to prove your real self right and that negative voice in your head wrong. It's almost proving that voice wrong rather than anybody else. Um, but I think it actually is something that's driven me on to achieve some pretty special moments in football. But yeah, I, I still still get elements of it now. If it's presenting to a big organization or you know, a room full of players and coaches, you still get that, I guess that voice that everyone gets, but it's that level that some people get more than others. You know, mine was right up the top at its worst, but some people will just suffer slight nerves with with these these moments. But what I've actually found out and through practice and through working on myself a little bit, that it's never, nothing's ever as bad as what you think it is at the time. That's for sure. But it's, yeah, it's an interesting path. It's, it's one that I'm enjoying, but at the same time, all of the stuff that I'm doing now will still give me greater tools. If some, sometime down the line, I want to revisit the coaching or, or get back involved in it at some stage, all of the bits that I'm learning about now, the, listening skills communicating skills can only be a good thing no matter what what it is I, I decide to do next.
0: How, how's that aspect of the game evolved in your career and how much more do you think it needs to involve around player well-being not just physically but mentally as well?
1: I think it's getting there I, I still think it's it's difficult for a lot of players to open up fully about it and share the issues that they're they're facing and going through. I think, seen a bigger number of players that are uh, sharing the issues they're, they're going through or have gone through. I mean, in recent weeks, uh, Jesse, Jesse Lingard's documentary, mm-hmm. the bits that he shared around mental health as well. So it's, it's definitely more out there, which for some is a massive help because when I was playing, you saw virtually none. So I think that alone will give a lot of players comfort, a lot of coaches comfort and that they're not going through it alone. But I think we've seen a lot of the top end doing it. I think you've still got a large group of players that won't reach out sort of through fear of, you know, losing their place in the team or not getting that next contract or next move. So still still work to be done. There's some great, excuse me, great work being done. PFA, the LMA, Sporting Chance. So there's some great organisations, some great support out there, but there's still a long way to go with it
0: do you think football still differs the rest of society then in terms of that you know you've got 30 odd blokes together in a dressing room like you say you don't want to lose your place in the team by showing weakness if, if that's still a thing you probably don't get in that in a lot of normal society where you work with you know men and women mixed together a lot a lot more is football still out on a limb in a sense do you think
1: yes yeah, it's, it's it's a totally unique environment It's a, it's it's not normal it's not a normal environment really, with the pressure, with the expectations, with the anxiety, you're in a dressing room and effectively you're fighting potentially against a mate of yours to get in the team, to earn a new contract, to progress your own career, you know, so you're constantly judged, you're constantly battling, a, you know, all sorts of emotional stresses, um, the pressures of Stay in fear of getting in the team of that contract to support the family um so it's, yeah it's not a normal kind of environment there's a lot there's still a lot of kind of alpha male type sort of characters and banter and and all of that going on as well um and when you kind of taken from such a young age, from going to school and almost thrown into that environment, a little bit more when I was coming through, you sort of left school and then you was sort of straight into that environment. Now, I think players more often than not spend a little bit longer in the academy systems. But if you're a talented player, you can be kind of thrust into that world at uh, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old when maybe you're not fully emotionally aware of, of everything that's going on.
0: You've got behind you. You've got the shirts that you earned through your career. You know, playing for Ireland and at the top level in the Premier League. I mean, do you miss it? The the day-to-day of that dressing room. Now you're out of it, or not?
1: You, you miss something. I, I definitely miss. I miss elements of it. You know, just those conversations daily, the connections with players and, and the coaching staff. You know, a little bit of that camaraderie in the in the dressing room. You miss, and and of course some of them feelings of, of getting that three points or you know it might be that that day at Wembley that you can never forget you miss those moments but at the moment those moments are not enough for me to think that you know I've made a wrong turn in in making this in this decision you know I've enjoyed probably a lot more than I've missed in terms of spending quality, quality time with the family, reconnecting with friends, starting a new course, helping individuals, presenting in clubs. So I've enjoyed a lot more than, yeah, like I say, than, than I've missed. But, you know, how can you not miss some of the moments that we had last season? That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, how was Wembley for you? I found it absolute torture, for especially the last 15 minutes. It was an awful game. How, how was it for you on in the dugout?
1: It, it actually wasn't too bad i think a bit of that's experience of that was my third visit there as a coach so i went went uh, to a playoff final with reading then went back as a coach with with scotland when we played england so i think that helps i think that helps with the occasion um and in a weird way I, i almost felt at my most relaxed on a match day than any other stage during the week. Yeah, and I think sometimes the actual week of the training, the preparation, your your video work, uh, with the opposition, getting all your set plays organised, and all the video watched with that. I think that I found more difficult than. It almost felt, in a weird way, quite relaxed on a on a match day, and I kind of felt that, <laughs> as bizarre as it sounds, on that. And in that playoff, I don't know whether it was a confidence that we'd done the work that I fully expected us to to win the game. You know, I just always felt that if we played as we had been doing for about six months overall, then there's no way that we couldn't <laughs> that we couldn't lose. There's no way that we couldn't go and win the game.
0: Did you feel it was going to be that kind of game? Because it felt like there was kind of a headwind where people outside Nottingham wanted Forest to win. There was a, I mean, Huddersfield had finished above you in the league I think but it felt like Forest were favourites and had the better players did that change the dynamics at all on the day for you that there was that expectation or or slight confidence
1: I agree with that actually I agree going into it a lot of the talk was about about us you know and the build-up as as being favourites you know the form that we was in you know a lot you know spoken about the length of time that we've been out the the Premier League but I think Steve and hopefully us as staff were so good at uh, dealing with that expectation and actually embracing that expectation and believing that we were good players, good coaches, that 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 didn't really affect us. You know, we had a fantastic meeting in the build up to the game where we kind of got all of the emotions kind of out. We spoke about it, we discussed it, players and staff, we shared, a little bit of how we were feeling going into this game, um, and we just went in fully prepared, and we knew that all we had to do was exactly what we've been doing for a long period of time that got us to that place. Don't
0: know if you can hear. Can you hear that helicopter flying over there in the background?
1: Got a little. Uh, yeah, it's not yours, is it? Just, just.
0: <laughs> it's mine, I think I live under a flight path. I think. Don't worry. <laughs> um, just last one on uh, Wembley. Then I mean. I watch. I must say, I watch back videos quite often of it. I watched one at the weekend. I found a YouTube of the the celebrations of the final. So, have you watched it back much since?
1: Not not the game, to be honest. I've I've watched clips of it. I think I actually watched back some of the set plays from the game because I was in charge of attacking set plays sort of last season. Um, mm. I just watched back Yatesy almost scored from a wide free kick and watched the goal going in and. And I was the same, watched the celebrations, which were incredible. Sometimes I did the same uh, when we qualified for the Euros with Scotland. I sort of watched back at the celebrations and back at people getting interviewed and what it means to people almost more than than the game itself. I mean, the night, obviously, we had an incredible coach drive back to Nottingham, great night, and then the next day in the city centre was... It's what you that's what you're in it for, you know, moments like that.
0: How'd you end up at Forest then? Because you'd you coach at different clubs and you dipped out at times. I think from reading to kind of dabble in what you're doing now. Then you gone in with Scotland and it felt looked like you had a pretty sweet gig there. What what attracted you to come to Nottingham?
1: Um first of all, Chris. First of all, I've always been about having that connection with staff that I'm going to be working with, i found on my own coaching journey. That's where I feel most at home, most comfortable working with good people. So the call, call actually came out the blue from Chris. Uh, never worked together. We knew each other, obviously, through football circles. But I think I was actually traveling up for a Scotland camp um, and had the phone call. And then it was looking at the club, size of the club. Then it was looking at obviously the position they were at that time under Sabri in the league. So I was kind of fully expecting to come in and we'd, you know, steamroll the league and sort of get into those, that, those playoff positions pretty quickly. So it was, a, it was a mixture of Chris, obviously the club, size of the club and the history of the club. You know, if it had been, a club that I didn't feel was gonna go and achieve something, then I probably wouldn't have bothered. I probably would have just happily stayed with my, with my Scotland role, but there was just something about the history of it, you know, big games that I've watched in, in the past and the whole, the whole history of, of, of just what the club is. I think that was the main, that was the main draw.
0: I suppose you say that like on paper, Everything looked really set up for Chris to succeed, based on his, you know, his esteem in the game and what he'd done at Brighton and other clubs in the Championship. It's probably not easy for you to say, you know, go into detail. But is there anything specifically that that went wrong when it felt like it was going to go so right?
1: No, I'm, I'm the same. Just fully expected it to to go well, um, and it's not in an arrogant way at all, because that's that's not. It's not sort of who I am, really. But most of the roles that I've been in have just kind of have gone well. This was a real sort of introduction into a difficult, a difficult year, really. It's hard to put your finger on why, and it's not making excuses. But that whole time was just weird. It was really odd during that COVID time, where there was no fans there, um, no <laughs> no atmosphere to to use. To our advantage, um, so it's, yeah, because and I was a big part of obviously that coaching staff, and and I guess what didn't go so well at that time. And sometimes it is as basic as this the right manager at the wrong time, or you know, or, or however you want to put it. It just it just never got going. It just never seemed to click. It just never just never seemed to work um and sometimes that happens in football um I I learned loads through that period of time obviously working with Chris you know seeing how he operates every day and it I'll tell you one thing it definitely weren't through lack of effort because you know still to this day and I include Steve in that I mean the hours that the hours that sort of we put in you know under Chris was was quite incredible and the you know amount of games that we used to watch and You know, time spent at the training ground, going through video and trying to get to the bottom of why it wasn't quite happening. Um, Yeah, it's just just one of those that that sometimes happens that that connection just never that just never gets going, you know, because and it's quite rare for Chris because, you know, as you know, all of his pretty much all of his jobs has, has been a success.
0: You mentioned, um, right, thanks for doing that. I didn't want to ask how that Help. Um, you mentioned right manager at the wrong time. I mean, was there a part of you that maybe thought it might be you after that Huddersfield game? We'll talk about that specifically, but that went so well. Did you did you fancy the manager's job or was it destined to be Steve Cooper's anyway?
1: Um, I didn't fancy it. Uh, purely a little bit out of loyalty, to Chris, I think the way I am as well. I think it wouldn't have, it probably wouldn't have sat quite right with me going and even put my name forward to to take it. I actually thought that I'd probably be on my way as well mm. as, as what often happens, manager goes, a staff go, but that wasn't the case. Um, I've got to say though, that Huddersfield away game, the game that I did take is probably, that's up there with the Euros with Scotland, be England. I'll put that right alongside if not just pipping it for for best moments as as a coach in football for sure the performance the reaction from the players the reaction from the fans how well the, the game went and to and to and to kick start that that amazing run on run that we went on last season that it was it was an amazing amazing day
0: What was your mindset going into it? Because like you say, you thought you were probably on the way out. Is it just kind of a a one and done, I'll do my best and see what happens type thing then?
1: It was a little bit of that. Sort of just felt like things needed a shake-up, felt like needed to just change things around, felt like, you know, I just wanted the players to go out there and express themselves. Um, And that's exactly what they, they did. There wasn't much time because it, See, Chris left on the Tuesday it late, I think it was late Tuesday night after the Middlesbrough games. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, everything happened well into the early hours that night. So that was on the Tuesdays. And then it was literally a couple of days then, recovery for the players that played. Spoke to a couple of the senior players in the next, well, the next day to just speak about the weekend, speak about Huddersfield, because you just got to get prepared straight away. Spoke to him about going to a back three, changing it up, because, you know, from both sides, it, it just felt to me that we almost needed that extra centre-back on the pitch to stop us leaking goals, but also felt that we might get a, a front three in as well, you know, with with Grabs and Brennan and, Joe Lolly. So I thought it could work both ways. Defensively, be a bit more solid. But going forward, hopefully give, like I said, Brennan, Joe, and grabs a little bit of licence to to, to to go and express themselves, really, and be really dangerous on the, on the counter-attack.
0: How did you end up staying then? Because when Steve was... Unveiled at the press conference. I remember asking him about his coach staff, and he spoke highly of you that he, he kind of made out that he'd known you for a, a year or two through coaching. Is that right?
1: Yeah, well, we obviously in the in the couple of years, well, year and a year and a bit that I was on Chris Chris's staff when we had played Swansea, I knew their goalkeeping coach at the time, uh Martin Margitson. So we'd always have a beer after the game. And just seemed to get a real good connection with Steve seemed to just, I liked all their staff, but that was a staff in particular that after a game that you're almost looking forward to just catching up with them and having a chat about the game, have a chat about football, Um, got on really well. And then we'd end up, through through the pandemic as well, me and Steve, although we didn't know each other that well at that time, we'd always end up on a lot of the coaching webinars that were put on so he probably thought when he got the role that I'm actually interested in, in the trade, interested in learning, interested in improving myself. And, yeah, it's just – we just got that connection. And I've got to say, if it w- wasn't for Steve coming in and someone that I had that connection with, it could have been a different story. It could have been more difficult because I need to – a little bit how I am. I need to be feeling part of it. I need to feel valued. I need to be offering – you know, my opinion, I need to be offering myself as well. And I couldn't have had anyone better because it's still, it's still in those opening few weeks when Steve came in, I was still thinking, uh, I'm not sure, still felt a loyalty to the previous staff. It was still a difficult decision for me, but we just got on so well. We got on so well as individuals. We would have a coffee and just chat about the challenges that are faced that I've shared a little bit about missing home, about all of that side of it. And we just connected and obviously what does help as well, you start, start winning games. You mm. start winning games and you're enjoying it a little bit more and you, you start ended up then being on a roll and, you know, decision was made probably in that first international break. So it would have been, the October international break, Steve gave me a little bit of extra time off. So I think I had a full week off just to spend some time at home, think about things. We was going to have a chat whether I was going to leave, basically, or whether it was to carry on. And I, I made the decision then in that October, it was just phone call or FaceTime, probably with Steve it would have been, and just went, right, let's let's crack on. Let's give it a go till the end of the season. That was it. From that moment on, it was just, you know, all hands, you know, all hands on it. Let's let's get cracking. Let's carry it on.
0: I'm pretty sure the game at Bristol City was in the October. So I don't know if you'd had this conversation to stay or not by then. But I wonder, was there a point where you thought something special was happening at the club? Because now we look back, it probably feels like that was the first sparks of it when Lyle scored those goals at Ashton Gate.
1: Yeah, that that definitely for me was one of the biggest moments of the season. There's some great performances through the season, obviously the cup games and you look at really polished promotion performances like when we went to Blackpool Way and just, you know, just dismantled them, just ruthless, clinical. But I still do go back to that Bristol City game where something, I think not something changed, but there was a feeling of you know this this could be anything this could be the sparks these could be the early signs of you know a little bit of luck as well because you look back at the winning goal and you you think that could have easily been given as handball you know mm. against Ohio. it looks could have gone either way so you need that bit of luck at times but that that moment that night in those conditions away from home in a difficult place the gun win you know in a night game it was yeah, that was a that was a big big moment, and probably probably one of the the biggest catalysts for what ended up being a you know a memorable year.
0: Us Forest fans like to think that Forest fans uh, make a big difference, we're a lot louder than other other crowds, and that atmosphere when it's really rocking does make a difference. Uh, is that something you genuinely felt? I know Steve spoke about it a lot, but those cup games, the, the playoff semi finals second leg. Uh, you, you, you talk about Scotland and their fans I mean is the atmosphere at the city ground up there with anything you've experienced
1: incredible I've got to say incredible but you know at the same time as well I, I saw both sides of it you know towards the end with, with Chris yeah. that was really tough time you know for everyone and results weren't great you know the fans started to drip back into the stadium and then obviously allowing the bigger bigger crowds in so I can see how when things have not gone well, which obviously the club have had over long periods of time now, being out of the top flight, it's had some really difficult seasons within that. I can see how some players might struggle to play play there, play at the city ground with the expectation, with how the fans are. Um, But you flip it the other way, when things are going well, oh my God, it was... You could all. I, what I used to do actually on a match day, I used to sort of look across at the other dugouts a lot of the time, yeah. just to see their reaction. At the start of the game, when everyone's singing, everyone's, you know, on their feet, getting behind the team. I used to sometimes glance over, and I think sometimes you could tell, especially when it really got going. I think there's a lot of games where the t- the opposition were beaten before before the whistle was blown. You know, and that is that is such a big strength. You know, the fans that are turning up in support—it was a packed house. It was, it was just rocking. You're just going into games thinking, just can't see us not winning this game.
0: How did you turn that tide of fan negativity into positivity then? Because obviously, you can turn, you could say you win games, but the way Steve did it in forging that connection with the fans it's like something I've not seen since. Frank Clark, maybe Billy Davis. Ten years ago, he, he was a big factor in turning that tide himself, wasn't he? In a sense,
1: yeah, I, I think so. I think a big part of that was embracing the was embracing the city, was embracing obviously the Miracle Men. Uh, we I, we got to know them really well over the season. We're going to West Bridgeford, have a coffee or a couple of beers. You know, a couple of them might drop into the to the training ground, watch training after games. You know, Gary Bell was a regular in there, coming in for a beer after games, as many others would be. Um, it's just embracing that. I think it also helps when you get off to a good start. I think it also helps, obviously, when Steve came in and we were rock bottom of the league, and then all of a sudden you win a couple of games, and then you climb, and the fact, the hopes start to build. And then you win another couple of games and then you're climbing into mid table and then a momentum builds with that. And obviously how Steve is and how he speaks, you know, he's fantastic, you know, and everything that he says in the press, um, win or lose, how he talks about the club, how he talks about the fans, he talks about the players, all the details, you know, especially, you know, the Joe Worrell comment after the game at Wembley where he's talking about the manager FaceTiming him on on his days off. Just just going that extra just going that extra mile with people, making people feel good about themselves, you know, making the fans feel good about the club again. And on top of that, it's no surprise when you end up on a run like that with all the details, with all the work going on behind the scenes.
0: Um what do you think of Bertels' shirts? He's a big, he's on this all the time. Uh. <laughs>
1: You know, well, he's brilliant. He was brilliant. It, you know, even through I used to bump into him through the Chris Hutton days, and then there's, he's just just a real decent bloke. Yeah. Loves the club. Uh, real passionate about the club. You know, like used to love being in and around it. You know, it's always good to see a few of the lads. Actually, the miracle men I'm talking about that just get a taste of just being back in and around it again. You know, something that when you come out of football, that's probably the bit that you that you miss because, you know, you hear about managers that have have managed the club over the last 20 years or so. Some, I think, were probably a bit intimidated by the European Cups, by the legends, by, you know, all the memorabilia around the, the training ground or stadium. You know, Steve just embraced it. You know, used it and used it to our advantage. We had you know, videos. We had, you know, not just in the lead up to the final, but you know, videos of what it means to play for, play for the club and and play for the city as well. You know, just little reminders and and sort of, you know, informing the players, informing us all about the the importance of of what it means and the history.
0: It's Steve. Um... Perhaps it's an unfair question. Is he the best man manager you've worked with then throughout your career? Um,
1: for, it's hard to say because I've been lucky. I've been lucky to work. You know, I've worked under Steve Clark. I've worked under Roy Hodgson. You know, even Chris. You know, in my opinion. Chris was great at, at talking to players. He was great at leaving a. It's not great leaving a player out, but he'd always give a reason. His door's always open. Whether you played one game or ten and you were left out, Chris would pull you in and speak to you and give you reasons why. So can't knock him for that. But in terms of, I think for me personally, he was probably the one that allowed me to open up about this kind of stuff or the stuff that I'm doing now mm-hmm. freely and openly in his office, chat about it chat about me, my worries and difficulties and challenges. You know, and he'd share one or two of his own, but we just have an open, almost like a check-in really. And I've never kind of, I've never had that as a coach, that space that just allowed me to, to talk about that stuff. You know, not feeling judged, not feeling um, scared to do that. It just made me feel comfortable and that's probably why you know we're still in touch regularly now probably be yeah. friends now but for the rest of our days because of that connection that we we had together and and as a group but yeah i probably avoided your question at the start he's definitely one of the best in terms of just creating that that culture and environment of everyone together everyone given a space to tell you exactly how they feel without that judgment
0: i guess there's more to him than that as well because i think to it back to was it the derby game where you changed tactics after 20 minutes or something and there was lots of games that he was really proactive with his subs i mean maybe what maybe that was you in his ear or the other guys i don't know but it all it had to all come together didn't it to get promoted so much had to come together i suppose yeah and and a loss
1: made of a lot a loss made of steve as a as a person and the stuff that we just spoke about about the emotional side of it but make no mistake he's bloody top top coach tactically very good you know from day one remember presentation around how we're going to play and every single session that we did on the grass was how do we play we're not just putting on a possession or a passing drill or you know, an exercise that's not related to either the opposition, uh, how we play, or the development of the players, everything at a reason. So it's not just, oh, Steve's a great guy, all of a sudden we're getting results. It's a clear way of playing, clear training methodology, tactically very good, tactically will change things early if need be, like you said in that Derby game. Sometimes we we'll play a back four. Sometimes we we'll play a back three. So, you know, he's got the balance right. You know, I think sometimes it can be, oh, great guy. That's it. But behind that, yeah. you also need all the other, you know, bits. You need good staff. need to delegate well. You need to have trust in, you know, myself, Alan Tate, Steve Rands, who used to, or still is obviously there, but great at the, you know, video work and analysis work, getting that department sorted. Everything just became a real slick operation.
0: Mm. Does he have the half-time nasty side without giving too much away? Because you probably need a bit of a, not the hairdryer or whatever, he has that change of gear, does he, as well?
1: Definitely. Like Demanding on the training pitch. Again, you know, don't get sucked in by the, you know, the great bit of press and Real good guy, so demanding on the training pitch. If the session weren't right, he would speak to me. Would speak to Tatey, You know, what were what you what thinking with that session? Not what you thinking with that, yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, did it work? Why have you done it? I don't don't know if we use that one. Whatever it might be, but it's the same. With the players, you know, pass it. Just simple passes. If it's not right, he was he was on them and is on them really demanding in every single session that we, you know, that we did. And if might be a player in a session, not quite at it, it'd be a conversation after training. So yeah. Good balance in, in, you know, the, the good and bad guy definitely, but so demanding. Oh yeah. It would be time. And to, to be honest, it weren't really often needed at halftime when it was needed. It would be it would be used. So sometimes Steve might deliver that bit, and then Tate the assistant or myself might then deliver some of the tactical information at halftime because we had the screen in and we can talk through it. But yeah, he's got that, he's got that nasty side to him as well.
0: Hmm. So when you talk about those intricacies and player relationships and knowing if a player's not at it in a session, you fast forward to this season, you've got twenty three new players. And you you probably don't know if a player's at it in a session or because you don't really know the guy and you've got that times 23, when you look at that from a coaching point of view we off, we always tell this podcast, oh that's a big challenge and it kind of becomes a catchphrase but can you kind of put into context how big a challenge it is to, to meld that group? It's massive
1: and sometimes it's difficult for fans sometimes to see it because they see the big money being spent, they see the wages, they see 20 players going off you go but I think one of the most difficult things from the outside looking in would be you're sort of learning on the job as well, in the Premier League, toughest league in the world. You know, players were coming in all the way up to the end of the window and the season's underway. You can't just, you know, play a friendly match and play two teams for 45 minutes each. You're almost trying out formations, trying out new players on the job in the Premier League. Which is, which is a real challenge. I can only liken it a little bit to, in a sense but not, would be the international uh, side with Scotland was you, you get these players sort of together, some that are new completely into the team and you've got a game in two or three days. You've just not got the time to deliver all your coaching sessions, to get all the detail that you want to get in in such a short period of time. And it is taking time and obviously fantastic that the club have stick with him, stuck by him, new contracts, I think that's settled everyone down. And there's no surprise now that you're seeing an upturn in, you know, results, performances, you know, learning as well. You're looking at some of the performances recently and almost shut the door and stopped leaking so many goals, Looks look a lot more solid in, in the approach. And alongside that, it's not only the change, but it's also the players that have been there a little bit longer now, week to week, more training, more video work, more unit work, more individual work. So it does take time, but it's, it's actually good to see that, that that patience was there.
0: How important were the players who were there last season then? Because it became quite a small group. As Cook, McKenna, Brennan, Yatesy, Joe. I think I was, Sam sorry that's about it, really, that was left. How yeah. was, important was that group to so their chances this season?
1: Yeah, massive. Not only just as lads and personalities, but the qualities that they brought last season. I think looking at this season as well, I've seen Yatesy kind of back in there, finding his feet now at, at Premier League level. You know, obviously Cookie. You've got that sort of spine almost of the players that, you know, in terms of centre-back, center midfielders, the still got, you know, obviously, Brennan. But they've also got that connection to last season, connection to the City, because, you know, new players coming in wouldn't really be aware of too much of what was created last season. That six, seven-month period where the City just kind of took off, all the new players coming it was really important that you still had those core players in it. And I think at times they maybe try to go in and get some of the players that did it last season as well, like Jimmy and, you know, Jed obviously went to Tottenham and Keenan. You almost want to keep that together as much as you can. It's important not to lose that spirit of what was created last season. So I think that was crucial. It's crucial that they're still playing a big part in the dressing room because, you know, 20 plus new players coming in, that can be a real, you know, real challenge, that's for sure.
0: Mm, true, true. Um, how pleased are you for, uh, Yates he was one I was going to ask you about. As a midfielder who's made that step up to the Premier League, you were going from Millwall to Blackburn, would it have been? I don't know. Um, to, to have that belief in yourself that he's shown that he can compete, when he's had doubters as well, how pleased are you for him?
1: Yeah, just love him. Just absolutely love Yatesy. Every day gives his best. Every day, first on the training field, Every day wants to get better. Every day wants to learn. Got the heart of a light. Just he's just everything that you want as a coach in your in one of your players. Um, obviously now he's in a good place. Obviously, he's at times had a difficult relate. I think it'd be fair to say had a mixed mixed reaction from sections of the support over the over the years. I think it's taken a while for. Some to fully you know believe in him and and believe he's the real deal but it's no surprise that he gets his games in constantly no matter what manager it is he always ends up getting his games in really important it's just an important person to have around not just player but just just leading by example just we'll put his foot in we'll do the ugly bits we'll go and get his head on a set plate like last season I was on a I was on attacking set plays last season and what we used to do, we used to every set play, every player that went in the box for a set play had to put a tenner in every week to uh into the pot. Mm. So Yatesy ended up picking the pot up about seven or eight. I think it's called seven seven from set plays last season. But typically Yatesy, whenever he won the pot, straight into the kitchen at the training ground and letting the kitchen staff share it amongst themselves that just gives you a little insight into to
0: what he's all about is joe the same with that kind of warrior spirit i suppose yeah
1: joe yeah he's the club means so much to him joe you know i think at times that can that can carry a weight in itself you know speaking as an ex-player um and a coach and talking about expectations but it means so much to him. You know, big Nottingham Forest family, you know, been around and in and around the area for his whole life, and Yatesy and Brennan. They've obviously been through the whole academy system. But, yeah, Joe's the same. And last season especially. I've not, um, you know, watched every single game this season. But speaking of working with him last season, he ended up just becoming a Rolls Royce last season at centre-back. I think as the season went on, we saw him grow as a player and as a leader, um, you know, started off a little bit like like we all did, you know, start of last season when things weren't going great. But as the season went on, he started becoming that leader, started demanding of others. But I also think Steve Cook's introduction in, in January helped that, you know, when he got put in between Scott McKenna and Joe, I think learning from, an experienced centre back that's played a couple of hundred games plus in the Premier League helped Joe's development as well. You know that experienced one in the middle of the two two younger ones either side. I think that was a that was a big help. Um, yeah, he, he was top draw last season. Obviously, this season been a bit of a trickier one for Joe. Started in and then had the spell out the team as well, and then back in uh, for for a decent. Decent result. So, yeah, but it's another experience for him. Massive step up and one that's you know, obviously going to be a a real challenge, but a a great one for him.
0: And just on Brennan as well. I mean, he's a different kind of character, I take it, very quiet, but he must have that inner steel because his stock's risen so high and he's had his critics a little bit this season, but now he's at the World Cup as well. I mean, tell us a bit about him and what do you think this World Cup can do for him as well? Yeah,
1: he's, he's a quieter one, Brennan, but what I loved about him and working with him is just you can just tell he's just got that real toughness, that inner steel about him, that fearless one that, you know, if I look back at my sort of playing career, there's only a couple that I've seen that have had that at a young age. You know, Phil Jones probably won when I was at Blackburn, made his debut at 19 against Chelsea and goes on and unfortunately injuries, but just fearless. You know, Brennan's Brennan's the same, even watching him come on last night for Wales, as soon as he gets it, wants to make something happen, wants to be direct. You know, so many big moments last season that he produced on the biggest stage, just absolutely lapped it up. Just couldn't wait for the next game. Just always wanting to make a difference. You know, when I speak to players now, I think I was definitely one. I dwell on maybe giving the ball away for the last two or three times that I've had it, but Brennan wouldn't care. Next time it comes to him, he'd want to make something happen again. And so many big moments. You know, I think if there's one, you know, bit of learning, it would be just trying trying to have that impact over a 90-minute game on a, on a more regular basis because it was unbelievable moments all that all the time last season. I think it's probably just getting him to just put it all together over, you know, over a, over a whole piece.
0: What chance do you give Forrest of staying up? Because I look at every team on paper and they've always got someone who he's a great player, he's a great player. The Premier League's so tough, isn't it? Have they got a decent shot still?
1: A massive, massive shot to stay up. I think if I look back at when I was at Crystal Palace and... Remember the season started seven defeats, not even scored a goal when I went in with uh, Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace. But the one thing that was in our favour even then, everyone was thinking we we're doomed. I was looking at the league table, thinking, well, if we win one game? We're still only three points adrift." You know, at no point has Forest been really detached from it. Yeah. You know, especially now after the recent run, just well in well in the mix. In a team that's now hopefully getting through that transitional period with the amount of players that have come in, you're actually starting to see the shoots now of of what could be. Against obviously looking at the Liverpool game in particular, I think a big and again link it back with my time at Palace. It was a it was a uh, a win against Chelsea, which seemed to kickstart our season that year into being a really good one and finishing mid table. So I think that. You can't underestimate what that win against Liverpool, top team, will do for the, the the team, firstly, but the the whole club, and just building that belief that they can do it, which which obviously can. They've proven that in the last last couple of games.
0: Um, just lastly, then, it's great to hear you speak on that kind of passion about Forest, but also the individuals around the club. Do you think are you done now with on the grass day to day coaching, or is this a different? way for you to kind of siphon off that passion in a different area of the game for you now?
1: Yeah, for now, I think it's just explore this a little bit more. Um, I think at some stage, who knows, whether it might be a year, two years, three years, whatever it might be, I'm still not sure. I'm still enjoying this time to kind of just do some other stuff as well. Left school at 16 and for 25 years being... At it in football, playing, coaching, you know, going through some challenges and difficult times without just trying something else or exploring what else I enjoy doing. And I've sort of found that place at the minute, enjoying the family time. The kids are still just at an age, probably got on for another couple of years before they start drifting and starting to do their own thing. So I'm enjoying that time. I'm enjoying reconnecting with friends and family. I'm enjoying being at home because I was actually I was renting in Melton Mowbray for the two seasons that I was was at Forest home one day a week Mm. you know it's a real a real challenge for missing and you know I think I owe it to them a little bit as well obviously backed me all the way through my career stuck by me sacrificed a lot themselves so I'm actually enjoying this time to kind of give them a bit of me back as well but who knows i'm going to explore this journey and enjoying what i'm doing but it's still still that possibility and by the way if that was to happen you know i'd love it to be you know with someone like steve cooper if not steve cooper again that's for sure
0: would you want to be a manager? Because I look at management and think it's either promotional promotion or the payoff and there's not much else good about it because you're going to get the sack eventually. Is it something that, you, that attracts you still or is it just coaching potentially?
1: Yeah, there's a lot about that week against Huddersfield that I preferred in my coaching journey. Hmm. You know, knowing exactly what I'm doing the night before training, know exactly what I want the team to look like at the weekend and it's mine and just going with it, not having to clear it, not having to Sort of ask the manager or discuss it, or I just went into that. As soon as I took the made the decision to, you know, to stay on and take the game, I just knew exactly. I knew how they played. I knew what I wanted us to be, and I just went with it. And there was no doubt. There was no second guessing. There was no outside influence. It was just my decision, which actually felt more comfortable, but. Bloody hell, did I need some sleep after that Huddersfield game. I'm all, <laughs> that was a stressful few days. Bouncing headache. I probably had 10 hours sleep spread over the three three or four nights that I had the job and took the game. So, yeah, I think we'll we'll wait and see on that one. But there was a lot that I preferred. But you've got to balance that up with actually your own, your own well-being as well. Uh,
0: yeah, I've only scraped the, the surface with you, but I think we'll have to leave it there because um, the hour is pretty much up. But Stephen, thanks so much for doing that. I hope you enjoyed it.
1: No, I did. you great. Do you know what? It, just a memorable, you know, it was an up and down, obviously, a couple of years, but last season was just, it was just ridiculous, wasn't it? Really. It was just unbelievable. Whether we'll see something like that Again, for a long period of time, I'm not sure. You know, bottom of the league after eight games to go on that run and to to finish it off. Obviously, we don't feel it when you're in a playoffs, but to do it, playoff final at Wembley. I mean, it's not a bad way to go out. That's for sure.
0: No, certainly not. I mean, those 23 years that pent up emotion. We've said this before, but. I'm not sure it's quite worth the 23 years, but it, perhaps in that moment of the final whistle, it did feel like it. It's there, like aside from you know my marriage and my kids, best day of my life. And yeah, I'm glad it was up there for you as well. Certainly,
1: absolutely brilliant, great
0: memories, excellent. We'll leave it there. Thanks to everyone who's watched as long as ever. If you enjoyed it, do like and subscribe. Uh, we'll be back next week. I've got a few more uh, really interesting interviews, uh, but it'll do well to top this one. So thanks very much, everyone. Enjoy your week. And we shall see you soon.